Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. One criticism the show gets from time to time is that we don't offer our listeners distressing near-death experiences often enough. Well, today's show should more than make up for that. One of the hotly debated questions between traditional religious believers and those who have experienced NDEs is whether there is a form of after-death punishment called hell. The Bible suggests there is, and some denominations have used hell to discipline their congregants and lock them into a fear-based form of worship. Unfortunately, this practice has poisoned many believers against all organized religion, and the love it teaches about uh, gets, uh, gets neglected as well. Many NDEers who have seen heaven often come back convinced God loves all of us, and therefore hell must not exist. But some NDEers, like today's guest, have caught a glimpse of hell or in uh, our guest's case, more than a glimpse. They report what are called distressing near-death experiences. But these reports are few and far between, although their stories are genuine. Could it be reports of hell are so rare because those experiences are just too stunning or shameful to speak about? Do NDEers simply repress these frightening experiences, or do they go on to accept responsibility for their behavior and like Scrooge in Dickens' novel, decide to change their lives. Again, there's that basic question, why would a loving God allow there to be a hell? Well, do you suppose that cruel people die with their free will intact, and could they corrupt heaven itself if they were allowed in? Our guest today, Brian W. Melvin, is a graduate of Colorado State University with a degree in social work. Brian is also a public speaker and author of the book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, regarding his distressing NDE. Brian was a militant atheist when, in July 1980, he drank from a thermos containing uh, cholera-infected water, and he died. He was transported to hell, where he saw many people tormented from their sins. When Brian died, the people he first met there told him he had entered paradise but they were lying. After being resuscitated, Brian suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, on account of what he'd witnessed. Nightmares of hell haunted him until one fateful evening when a thundering voice declared to him he was in a holy place. Next, Brian was ushered before Jesus in heaven, where he witnessed paradise. This incredible experience of heaven healed Brian of his PTSD Brian saw God, angels, declarations of things to come, and many other life-changing visions. Brian Melvin, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, and I'm looking forward to this story. It's a, it's a shocker, but it's a, it's an important story to be told. Brian, when you finally died from the cholera, you write you felt uh, transported through time and space, and you knew you deserved your fate, whatever it was. Yes. Tell, tell us what of, you meant by that. Yeah, I'll kind of fill in people in 1980, had an after-death experience. And what happens, I drank some bad water out of a 
at a construction site and I contracted cholera and it, and it was some creek water from Mexico that somebody put in a, in a, in the work cooler and I accidentally drank it. It's just, it's just one of those things you accidentally do. And so I contracted cholera and if anybody ever had cholera, you know what I'm, I'm talking about because you lose all your body fluids really quick, quickly. Um, and I got sick within what? Uh, within 12 hours and three days later is when about all this happened. I, my body went into shock and I died. And at the time, I was a militant atheist. I didn't believe in any any of this stuff. I didn't want anything to do with God. Probably some of the reasons that you stated because a lot of um, the way Christianity is presented in a lot of circles, they use hell and fire brimstone to just mm-hmm. to, to keep their congregation and people in line. I'm not trying to badmouth any congregation or anything like that, but that was just the way it was. And it just turned me off. So I kind of became a militant atheist because of that, because of what I learned in school and everything else. I just didn't want any of that. I didn't believe in God at the time. And But anyway, after I um, drank that water, my body dehydrated. I lost fluids out of both ends. And it's a miracle I'm even here today. I don't even deserve to be here right now. So... I remember laying on my bed after the last attack and crawling back into bed and um, I took my last breath and in that nanosecond I was um, uh, I was more alive then than I am now. <laughs> I mean I didn't I wear glasses I'm nearsighted I could see across the room it was 10, 10 till noon when it happened my dog was really distressed I was trying to pet my dog but my hand came out of my hand Went through my dog's chin, then I floated above my body, and I was just suspended there, and I lost my atheism right then. I was more alive than anything else. The next thing I knew, I went through the ceiling, and I heard everything pristine clear. I could hear the neighbors arguing, <laughs> husband and wife yelling at each other, and I could hear the kids kicking a can down the road. All this I verified later. The kids were kicking a can down the road and uh, in front of the house. I floated above it, floated past the swamp cooler, which you can't see uh, from outside. I lived in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, and it was held together by a strand of baling wire and a, and, a, and a faded bandana. And so a month or two later, I went up to change the filter. And sure enough, that was there. So... Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw a lot of verification of <laughs> this actually happened. And people can doubt me. I don't mind, whatever, because I try to be respectful of everybody's opinions and stuff. But I'm just going to tell it like it is, okay? So mm-hmm. just like you said, I went into a, uh, a, a pleasant darkness, I call it, heading toward a light. I knew nothing about after-death experience, nothing about near-death experiences, nothing at all. And uh, and so I, here I was floating in a... Uh, a black void feeling the most profound love I ever felt and it was very peaceful and there was a brilliant light off in the distance I was heading um, toward and this I heard this music and this singing that proclaimed the mystery of God's character and his nature and who he is and what he's like they were it was singing in a different language but I understood it perfectly what they were saying and at the same time, bits and pieces of my life flashed before me. I saw how teachers, schools, movie, the world, myself mostly, uh, all painted uh, 
And God and Christianity is oppressive, closed-minded, restrictive, just like I said earlier. It's, you grew up in this environment where a lot of people were like that in Christian churches at that time. Yeah. And I just thought that God, if he was, ex- uh, yeah, he could be so cruel and mean to allow kids suffer. Some of you may be wondering that. One thing about my book that I wrote, I try to answer some of these questions in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so my book is quite different than a lot of other books. So I just saw how I did everything and how, I, you know, I just saw myself and what I was doing. It was like these bits and pieces of your life flash by. And I, I used to argue that if God um, existed, then he owed humanity and apologies for making evil and death and all the misery in the world. I was blaming him for everything, realizing I really contributed much to its stink. Mm-hmm. And, and I always said I didn't. You know, a lot of people do that. And I saw how I became a militant atheist. And I was out there really to destroy Christianity and faith by proving that Christians cannot live up to their own standards. I didn't realize I was doing something that some some other entity is doing as well. Hmm. And the light came closer and closer to me. And I saw that it came from a figure who was standing on a big rock suspended in the darkness. And behind this rock was an amazing panorama. It was a walled city. Then it disappeared from view. And I landed feet first before this person standing there on this rock that was suspended in space. And I felt down, face first, hard, just like a dead sack of wheat. And somebody picked me up from behind like he had crazy glue on his hand. He didn't grip my hand. He just touched me and just picked me up. And, and just with force, stood, I stood right in front of this person. And uh, he was wearing a hood. And this brilliant light was coming from him. And the light was so intense, I can't even explain it. And it was beautiful. And it was just, uh, I can't even describe the imminence of this light. Your eyes do not see colors like this in this life i can't explain it i can't even you can't even make a painting like this and then my eyes adjusted to the light and i noticed he was wearing a hood and all the calmness and love that i felt left me and uh i you know i was facing a reckoning i didn't realize i was realizing that god's love was going to judge me i didn't realize what was happening i felt all the love and peace but i saw how i betrayed all that and how I live my life. And so just bear with me for a second. Right. And I saw, as soon as he, uh, you know, I saw that hooded figure and I could see like, it looked like somebody pulled his beard out and you can see cakes of blood there. I noticed he had slits in his wrist and um, I knew who it was. <laughs> the person I argued against even existing. So I'm standing before him, and it was revealed to me, hard and heavy, how I exploited and used God's love for my own ends. How I lived my life, I poked finger, my finger in God's eyes, evident by how I lived my life. And I was being judged by God's love, and, and, and because God's love will judge you. How? By revealing who and what you're really like on the inside that nobody else sees. Now, I saw how I justified and betrayed folks. I abandoned folks. I rejected folks. I mocked people. Who hasn't? You know, I even sold drugs to the church youth group and got them all high in a, in a, in a, in a skating thing. Yeah. And these were the sleeping pills. <laughs> and uh, I justified everything, you know. I saw how I used people like a commodity, and I didn't think I was. And I saw how every relationship I had was selfish. And I 
basically crucified every relationship I ever had. And I inflicted wounds on people thinking that I was justified. There's not one of us who hasn't done these things, abandoned or neglected or hurt somebody or said anything. Yet we fail to look in the mirror to see what we're really like. And standing before the Lord was like looking in our and seeing what you're really like on the inside. And I, at the same time, this will sound very strange. I saw how good God was to me through my entire life, despite myself. <laughs> He showed me how he spared my life many times from accidents, car wrecks, so many car wrecks. I could have, um, uh, the one I remember the most was I was drunk with a carload of my friends in my dad's car. I think I was probably 17 on Gallows Road in Virginia. We came over a hill and we flew over the hill and airborne heading toward a, looked like a 300 year old oak tree. And the road slightly turns there, and, I was, and there's no way to avoid this tree. And something took the car and moved it and, and hit the road and kept me on the road all the way to the bottom of the hill and missing oncoming cars at the same time. And all the people said, oh, you're a great driver. Let's do it again. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know and uh, all I can say, I was revealed to me that an angel came and moved the car and spared my life. And so a lot of events like that, God will spare our lives, try to get our attention. We won't pay attention to it. We want to justify ourselves. We think we can just make it into heaven on our own, and you can't. And that's what was being revealed to me. I saw that God gave me a gift of life. I made life ugly, like I wrote in my book. And um, God was so good to me. He gave me good parents, the best parents you could ever ask for. And nowadays, I realize, since I do a lot of counseling and stuff, is uh, that's a pretty rare commodity, and yet I, I, I was I treated it bad, and I, I also played the victim card. I did all these things, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I always ask people to think that they can just waltz into heaven and and just because of who they are and all all this is going to change them. God's love is only going to change you in this life, not in the afterlife. We think that we are so good or something and we deserve heaven, okay? And we think we can waltz into heaven because God's love is going to change us. And that's really not the case. I found out the hard way, and I'm trying to tell people this. I yeah. mean, after all, Adam and Eve had it made and they blew it. Um, yeah, um, did, I, know, uh, I, I, did I would the, argue. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, did the hooded figure say anything to you? He spoke in like thought to me. And he was exposing this stuff to me like, you know, he would expose to me this thing of how I used to say, I don't need God. I, I, don't, I don't need the God of the Bible. You know, I'm a nice person. I'm not perfect, but, and, you know, if there is a heaven, then I must make it, but I don't really believe it. You know, I'd rather be a dead hunk of meat. You know, he showed me my, my reasoning. That's, that's the type of things he, he so, showed me. So this is what uh, other NDE years would describe as a life review. Yeah, it's a, it definitely is a life review. Yeah. Now, and, at at what point did he indicate that uh, you were you weren't going to heaven, or <laughs> that you were going well, to the place um, you go? Well, you know, I used to think that you know I didn't need Jesus. This is too narrow. It's too you know not fun or whatever. And you know, I couldn't believe in a God like that who allows a place like hell. And if there's a God, you know, there's possibly I'll make heaven. If not, I'll be a dead hunk of meat. Um, so if he is existing, you know, he showed, the Lord showed me this. He owed, I, I thought that he owed me heaven. If I, if there was a heaven, I, I was owed that because I didn't ask to be born. I had all these excuses. 
he burned up all my excuses. There's no other way to say it. I mean, he showed me what I was really like. Mm. And, um, and so what happened, folks, is like eternity seals the deal. And I saw myself who and what I was really like. And as I was standing before Jesus, it was, and I could see the nail prints in, in his wrist, and it's like bones were pulled apart and stuff. And, um, and I realized that he paid a, a heck of a price. This was what was revealed to me, to redeem us, come back to redeem us, to expose what we're really like to each other, because, you know, Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Hmm. Who have we betrayed? Who have we abandoned? He was abandoned in the garden. He was mocked. He was lied against. He bore false witness. Everything that we think that uh, that was done to Jesus is what we do to each other. Right. And our but, families do to us or whatever, and it affects us. And then I, and, I think he, it, came, he came to restore and give everything back and all that. And, and I, what was shown to me, Lee, was I simply was, I, I just stuck my finger in his eyes. I didn't want any of it. Hmm. And then he just, he, then he said something to me. He said, uh, he spoke to me, telling me that I would see a land unknown that's best forgotten, but not to be left unseen. Then he said these other words. I wrote these down immediately after this event. He said, but returning is an option yet to be decided. That was quite telling. It kind of really resonated, you know, it really shut me up. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and it says, when you arrive and feel a sense of overwhelming, say my name and my title. That's what he said. And I knew it instantly it was Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I didn't know what was going on. I had no clue. I, 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 I knew I was heading toward a bad place. I knew I deserved it. It was proved to me I deserved this by how I was. You know, I was on the inside, that things that nobody ever sees. And some force lifted me up and, and went through another door like uh, scroll, uh, like a, a scroll opened up. It's like a door, and I went through it, and I found myself in a terrifying spinning tunnel, a vortex, heading toward another light. This light was a yellowish dent, and the smell was horrible. There were horrible noises, and all this hellish language, and this um, really foul odor coming out of it. And it was like being inside of a tornado, and it was very hot. You know, like it's so hot, like some people said, it's like you, your eyeballs will melt out of your socket, but they don't. You're in a spiritual being right now. And reaching at the end, I fell through the sky and landed with a thud, and I was in that land unknown. That's why I named the book that, A Land Unknown. Hmm. Um, that's best forgotten, but not to be, to be remained left unseen. Uh, there's a reason for that. And, and, and so I landed on the ground and I was not what I expected. As you know, I thought it was be devils, pitchforks, flames and stuff. And that's, that's there. Don't get me wrong. That stuff is there. But this, I found myself sitting on the ground and I got up and looked around and I was on a hill in a little valley. Then I it went over a little bit and there was a house on it on the other part of the hill and then in the near distance with a dilapidated dead looking tree, like in the fall and nothing looked green or anything or any lushness there at first. And then all these people rushed out of the house, came down the valley and came up to meet me. Then everything looked green and beautiful. All of a sudden it was, it was a weird thing. It was almost like somebody was trying to enchant me to make me believe something. 
So all these people came up to me and some people I knew who died and stuff slapped me on my back and said, Brian, welcome to paradise. Can't you feel the love here? Yeah, I, I felt something. It wasn't exactly love that I felt in that dark void getting there. This was sort of, I can't even, I, talk, I just call it in my book a sickly sweet kind of love, a real deceptive type of love. Hmm. Uh, a false acceptance is pretty much what I could say. And so they're slapping me on my back and I looked at their eyes and their eyes were like alligator eyes they had yellow irises, like an alligator. And, I, and I'm going, you know, I kept confronting these people. You're not this person. You're not that person. And they would, then suddenly they all change into what they really were. And like, like Jesus said, when you sense a, a fear of overwhelming, say my name and my title. And that's exactly what I did. I said, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. When I said that, all the entities couldn't grab me. They couldn't. They could poke me, they could touch me, they could push me, but they couldn't grab me. They couldn't hold, get a hold of me. Hmm. And I didn't know what was going on. And to be honest, I had no clue. And I was in this terrifying place with all these hideous-looking beings, and this one creature came up, and I actually nicknamed him Lizard, Lizard Breath. It's just, just my and the reason for that. He was about four foot eight, and I wrote about him in, in there. And yeah. in fact, in Loveland, Colorado, there's a statue garden that was put up around 2007 near a, um, near a um, shopping mall area and had African art in there. And they have a statue of the very thing I saw. And uh, I even, it's like, wow, <laughs> I take pictures of it. Sometimes I go down there and look at this thing. I'm going, no, yeah, there, there it is. All it lacks is the long a dinosaur-like tail. It was a lizard-looking thing. His breath was so foul, it distorted his face. I never knew how many eyes it had. And he hissed and spit. And I can understand what he was telling me. And he said, come, follow me. I offer you half the kingdom. And he walked along and walked to the... To, to the horizon, couldn't go any further, and he ripped it open, and I said, wow, what is this? And he stepped up out of, into this place, and I followed. And I, I got out of there, and I stepped up out, and I looked at, back at where I was, and I was inside of a teeny cell, either 10 by 10 or 14 by 14. It's so, uh, the dimensions and the and, and what you're going through, it's, it's hard to get the right dimensions. I put 10 by 10 in the book because 10 is better than 14 or 15, it's shorter to spell. <laughs> but, bear with me on that one. But it was small, but inside was like the inside all outdoors. It was like what's in your mind was in there. I didn't realize that was actually in the Bible and the biblical concept of the original Hebrew about chambers of death and stuff. And, um, but it, it, it is, it is in, in there. And so, um, so I looked around and I saw the entities all over the place. Some of them look like gargoyles without wings. Some of them look like rotting vegetables. There's no other way to put it. Insect-like, amphibians, uh, reptilian-type things, different shapes, sizes. The tall ones had authority over the small ones. And some, most of them look like ancient pagan deities like you see in Mesopotamia or in Egypt. Things like that with the, with the jackal head and stuff like that. You, you, those are the type of things you see there. But, but in living color and a lot more terrifying than these uh, statues and stuff. And uh, there, some of them were very deformed. Others were, were extremely beautiful. They all had an ambiance. And they, were just walk, they walked around. They saw me. They hated my guts, I can tell you that. And I saw that some of them were escorting people into cells. And 
that I came out of because I was on what, to me, to describe where I was, I call it the pit of hell. And I will get into it real quickly and kind of look and go on from there. But it reminded me, it's basically the bottomless pit. And it was a pit. And it was, um, it was a wide, dusty road. And it was hot. And you can see molten rocks and stuff off to the side. And then when I, the cells were stacked six high. And they went to send it back into the depths of the pit. Pretty much exactly how Ezekiel chapter 32, I believe it is, describes it as a circular pit with cells embedded in the walls of the pit. And in a, and we went to this area. It looks like a uh, spiral staircase. That's why I can put it. And the staircase would be the road. And the bricks in the wall would be the cells. And then there's an open area. You can look up and down. We walk, walked over there and I looked up and down. I looked bottomless. And I knew intuitively that the people above me experienced less recompense than what I was going to experience or the people on this level. There was just layers. That's what confuses people. There are just layers of, of recompense. But everything kind of clicked and moved slowly ever downward. But what the nature of this place, as it says in um, Job, either 25 or 26, I can't remember the verses now, but it says Abaddon has no covering, you know, there's there people are, are in torments there. And so the place uncovers the real you. It exposes your sin nature, what you really are like, and what a lot of people deny. I don't have a sin nature. I know I'm not perfect, but I don't have a sin nature. That's a that's kind of a misnomer there. It's like, what? But anyway, so the real you is being exposed, but there are degrees and levels of, rec- I call it recompense, because that's more what is payback. Right. What you sow is what you reap. It's a biblical principle. And, and um, so I was seeing that. So this thing took me over, I call it lizard breath, and, and uh, I've got more in my book than I can even get into here. And so we walked over to this, to the back, to the cells. And I looked inside the cells. I, I saw individuals inside the cells by themselves with a whole host of different creatures. Some creatures were, or entities were chained to the floor. Others could leave at will. And they provided the props and the scenery of everything that transpired in there. And I saw people in various stages of, of payback, no other way to say it. And, um, that, that's exactly what I saw. And these cells, um, each person inside the cell was isolated. And they, only those demonic entities in there for company. And some of them gave the illusions of people. Some of them gave the illusions of chairs, you know, furniture. It's a strange thing. I've never seen anything like it. And I had discernment looking into this place. And what I saw were people living in a never-ending nightmares that would blend into new nightmares. <laughs> and they were never able to wake up. I wanted to wake up from this place and I was terrified of what I was seeing and what I was experiencing and the utmost fear that I was If I didn't, wasn't saying the name of Jesus and had permission to say his name, I wouldn't be here right now, you know. And the people in these cubes were not tormented, nor were they tortured by God. Their, their own selves, what they've done in life, really was doing the tormenting. And they had familiar spirits with them. They had these entities that were obliging that punishment. And these things entrapped them to act certain ways in life, dragged them there, and they bought it hook, line, and sinker just like I did. 
And so, um, so what was being exposed is what they were really like on the inside. And that's the nature of that place. And nobody was reformed. Each person became worse and worse as time progressed. Because it seemed like the cells above was slowly descended. It was like a conveyor belt type thing. It was very slow. I saw, I saw how this worked. And, um, but like I said, people above, less torments, they probably are more, uh, be more of a, this will sound really strange, but it'll sound like more of a paradise, a temporary paradise, but very boring. Mm. And then after a while, after the newness and the stuff wears off, the love that you felt is really not what you think it is. And the reality of the place sooner or later will hit. And that's what I was seeing. And I also want to state this. There were no children in hell. Uh, you know, there's a certain age of accountability. It's moral reasoning. You know, little kids can't morally reason. And there are no little kids in hell. Not at all. So a lot of kid adults who are survivor and near-death ex, uh, experiences they go to heaven and they tell all kinds of great things but our life experiences so forth are, are, etc after that can cloud our interpretations but you know so i don't doubt <laughs> adults who died and saw heaven as kids hmm. i don't doubt that one iota but because there are no kids there and so, you know, God is just. There's no disabled people, you know. There's no DD, you know, develop, developmentally disabled folks there. And God's more just than what, what people think he is in that, that, that realm. If you don't believe me, it says it in the Bible as a rich man in Lazarus. You know, the Lazarus basically was disabled, begging, and he made it to paradise, and the other guy didn't. So you have a biblical principle there. <laughs> so... What I noticed that these people, these, these entities did in the in life with these other people, they enchanted people, making these people think they can create a paradise on earth through drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, and our, our power trips, whatever, you know, just let your mind wander. Hmm. And I give you a few illustrations of what I saw, and I'll kind of, you know, I want to talk about heaven. <laughs> I want to get there. But looking into cells, I saw this guy, ancient dude, and he was wanting to go to a costume party. That's what he was doing, he was waiting to go to a costume party. He was enjoying himself at this party. And then all the mask attendees would take off their mask and began to ridicule and mock him, just like he did everybody else. He was one of these people who was nice to your face but mocked you behind your back. <laughs> you know, people like that. And, uh, and he felt all the pain of ridicule. That was his hell at that time before it would get worse. But that's what he was going through. We went down a little, some lower levels there. And I'll just give you a few people I saw. I saw this unsaved revival preacher back in the early 1800s in um, Kentucky. And um, he was a lecherous um, a pervert. That's the only I can say. And he masqueraded as a, purchase, uh, a preacher, excuse me, a preacher who loved to mock the Bible and have his way with the ladies, especially um, uh, younger uh, ladies. Yeah. And um, he was trying to preach and, and all the congregants were demons and stuff and they mocked him and surrounded him and began beating him up with his big black books. And then he ran off and this entity came through and landed on top of a cell and entered in and he had the cloven hoofs and, and bird's feet. It sounds strange, like four feet. And he put his those things right on top of his neck and began crushing him and mocking him and, 
and then then let him go and it started all over again in a different scene and it just kept repeating it kept getting worse and worse for this guy he was he wasn't getting reformed he was getting worse he was getting more and more perverse it was the strangest thing i could ever try to explain i saw this lady that was inside of a coffin in another cell trying to uh to get out and in, in this life she was a um <coughs> excuse me she was a bona fide practitioner of the occult. She was a high-ranking order person that the that the other don't even know about. They haven't been initiated. But these this this was a high-ordered witch. It's the only way I can put it. She cursed to death people, and uh, she cursed to death hopes and dreams. She and she any potential goodness she had a reckless hate to destroy it in order to bring forth a new golden age that was her mentality i saw all that and she believed what she was doing good because that's what she believed that these people had to go and you have to destroy everything and rebuild it and all this stuff and she was a dark practitioner people you know want a scriptural president for what i'm saying you need to look at uh Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 17 through the end of the verse. It talks about a person like this who practices really gross type of occult magic, and they actually do put people to death before their time. That's that person. And the coffin represented her all the hopes and dreams and people she actually did, and she couldn't get out of this coffin. And then and I, and I always want to talk about this individual though i don't know the name of the person this and i knew all about these people as soon as i saw him i saw this lady coming through the 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 middle of the uh uh, the bottomless pit there where it was open and this tornado vortex came down as we're walking along and deposited a lady right in front of it now she saw that she she was in paradise she thought this this was a great place and she stood outside and knocked on this door. We got up close to us, pretty close to her at that time. And this lizard thing hmm. in front of me. And she knocked on the door. And um, and it looked like her grandmother opened the door. But I could see that it wasn't her grandmother, but she thought it was. I could see what she saw. I, I actually could see what she saw inside and outside. It was a weird thing. Though it was outside, the cube was like being inside but still standing on the outside, really hard to explain. And so I stood there with this creature mocking and, and spitting and, and cussing and all this other stuff. And we're looking inside this. And so she walked inside the living room. It looked like her um, grandparents' farm. And she had a great place to live in her life. And she was sitting there and she goes, hi, Uncle Henry. Hi. And they're all saying, oh, welcome, welcome. They called her Deer Pudding. They call her Pudding. So Deer Pudding. Welcome to paradise. This is a lovely place. You just, can't you feel the love here? It's almost like the same things they said to me when I entered in here. In here. And, um, and they were just welcoming her and she felt really at ease and she was getting excited and says, this is beautiful. This is just like the old farm. Says, oh, and then her grandmother, what really wasn't her grandmother, said, uh, you have eternity here. You know, you know, um, let's go outside and I'll show you around. So when they moved, it was like the floor would move and the scenery would change, but they wouldn't be, they were still in this real small cell. And it was like, um, best way I can put it, it would be like the Star Trek Next Generation holodeck. Oh, you're yes. in a small confined area and you're in this, she was in this beautiful place and she was seeing all these things and it looked like the place that made her the happy the most when she was a kid. They went outside, and her grandmother says, why don't you just go out to your favorite spot, and I'm going to bake you these cookies, your favorite cookies. And so she, 
So she thought her grandmother departed, but it wasn't. It wasn't this hideous-looking creature. It was wringing his hands and, and stuff dripping out of its mouth. And um, and she walked over to what she thought was two trees and a stream. There's no water in hell at all. But she thought there was a stream there. So she walked over there and sat on this rock, and she kept feeling uneasy because something wasn't right. It was a little too hot. And she could hear a sound or something. You know, she could hear some sounds. And then all of a sudden, she sat on the rock and put her hand in the water, and she pulled up sand. And the two trees weren't two trees. They were like, uh, I would best describe them as multi-tentacle squid-like things. And they engulfed her, and she shrieked. And then she, and I saw what she was. I knew what she did. And um, and she shrieked. And I, I still remember that. That thing gave me nightmares for months. But um, she shrieked because she realized this was not paradise. She was deceived. She deceived herself, too, in, in this life. Everyone would think that she was a nice person. She was a lovely person. She was a member of the PTA, did all these things. She baked bake goods and stuff and PTA and stuff. But what people never really saw was what she was really like. She there was basically a wealthy lady, nothing to do with anybody with wealth. But it has to do with her attitude. She said to her kids... The kids are saying, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. I, I, will, I, I want to be this or that. And she says, no, you're going to be a doctor. We only have doctors in this house. We only have dentists, doctors, and lawyers. You're going to be that. And she got a hairbrush and beat the tar out of them and make sure they comply with becoming what she envisioned that they, they did. And she ruined her kid's life. I can only imagine these kids had to go through a lot of therapy for what she treated them. And she was vicious with her family. And everybody else would say that she's real nice, but she always thought that she was doing this to better her family, to keep the family name in line. It was, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen to see what this person's like and what people would view her up in, in this life as, and then seeing what she's like down there, then see her beat her kids with a hairbrush. You know, I could see that, you know, it's hard to explain, but that's, it's called discernment. There's no other way I can explain it. And that's why she shrieked because she realized, uh, I ain't all that. And, uh, so that's pretty much what I saw there. And I always want to mention that because it was so interesting. She always thought that she was in paradise and I just I want to make people think real quickly here. And so. This, this lady wanted to dominate and control everything too. She was, she was, she was a, she was a piece of work, but she fooled people. You know, later I worked in law enforcement. I worked with uh, psychopaths and narcissists basically, and I worked with sex offenders. And so I recognize some of these traits in this person, but, um, it's just incredible, incredible evil person who would masquerade as good, just like a good psychopath or a narcissist would. It's just, wow. But anyway, we were walking in this place. Those are some of the things I saw, and I was getting very weak at this time, and we came to this place in, in, in hell. And the only best way I could explain it is where my cell would end up at a certain time, where there it was. And we walked in between the cubes and, and stuff. We came to this one spot, and I was getting very weak after seeing all this and some of the other things I saw. And I saw the reasons why people were, were, were there, and none of the people were complaining about it. And none of them, no one thought it was unjust, and I don't think it's unjust either, because, you know, I came out of there. And I'll explain why in a second. So I came to the cell that set apart from the others, and the front wall was open, okay? 
and there was like looked like a dentist chair but i knew it was an entity in there and all these demonic creatures were in there and these hellish looking beings entities in different shapes and sizes were there this was where i was going to spend eternity this was my cell in a different lower level and um i knew i deserved this place because you know um i i would i'd pollute pollute heaven you know if, if, if the lord allowed me in my sinful state to enter into heaven i would be out there with a with a uh, sledgehammer and a, and a chisel uh, stealing the streets of gold for my own benefit you know that type of person i would be and um here i am knowing that this place was my this was it and so i was um this part i might cry i don't know the pair with me and I, I i stood there and i didn't want to go in and this lizard creature, lizard breath, was trying to get me to go in. They're all trying to get me to go in, and they're laughing and sneering. And it dawned to me they promised uh, me half, you know, to follow it, and you'll get half the kingdom. Well, you get half the kingdom of hell to torment you, because at that time I also practiced what is known as mind science stuff, where you can project your thought and control your world and stuff. But uh, you really don't. But anyway, but anyway. I'm I'm standing there, and it was like my feet were going through this dusty, miry goo and being propelled into this place. I did not want to go. I was terrified. I wanted to tell I wanted to tell my parents where I was, but no one or no one there could hear me. And I wanted to tell people, "Hey, mom, dad, tell the preacher I'm not a good old boy. I didn't make heaven. You know, I couldn't do any of that." And your, your mind wanders as you're as you're going through this, and and I'm sitting there or standing there, being drawn into this place. And this was what I deserved by how I abandoned, betrayed, mocked people. I mean, how you know, how I treated people. You know, I you know I thought I was a decent old chap, and I didn't. You know, I only stole from people who deserved it. You know, type mentality. <laughs> mm. You know, the good old sinner or whatever. I don't deserve this. You know, not, none of that mattered. I saw what I was really like, and I deserved this place. This would be my lot for life. This was where I would be for eternity. This is where I would still be right now. And I felt this presence coming behind me, and it was like shaking the earth, every footstep he had. I did not know this was, I thought it was Satan himself coming with a pitchfork to throw me in there. My mind was, I was, I was your, your mind wanders and thinks really strange things when you, you're backed against a wall and you have no hope. I had absolutely no hope. I had there's no rescue, no hope, none at all. And this, this was it. And I didn't want to go. And yet I had to. And yet I knew I deserved this place because of, of what I, I saw, what I really was like. And then all of a sudden the entity that came up, came up behind me, all the other demonic creatures scattered and ran away from it and ran away and got out of there. And suddenly as I stood looking at this inside of this empty cube as very close about Two arms picked me up, and it was Jesus. I mean, he picked me up, and um, I, and he had the holes in his wrist. And when he picked me up, and I realized, even though I wasn't at the cross, I was, I was there. I, 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 I crucified him. <laughs> I made his bones pull apart by how I treated everybody. And man, I, I like Judas. I betrayed friends. I was just like. Uh, the Pharisees putting Jesus on trial. You can't be God. There is no God. 
Now, I, 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 was, I wanted to slay goodness. Anybody who was good or decent, I wanted to mock them. I wanted to trip them up. I wanted to make them look bad. You know, I, I lied. I abandoned people. I neglected people. I robbed from my own parents. I, I robbed from people. It's just like I, I ripped Jesus' garments off and, and cast lots for him. I put, you know, I couldn't carry things, so I put my weight on somebody else's back to carry, just like, like, like Jesus' weight was, was made to carry a weight he couldn't bear either. I did all that. I saw all that when, when he picked me up. Mm. And I don't deserve to even come back. I didn't deserve it. So he carried me up out of this place, and uh, <laughs> he talked a little bit with me. Bad words went through the dark void again. And the love of God really overwhelmed me. And breathe. I was in all the rack of pain. The symptoms were there. I don't know how I got in the neighbor's truck. Why did you run so many red lights? Why did that, you know, that, the white Ford Fury almost hit us? He says, how in the blank did you know that, Brian? You couldn't have seen it. Well, I was, I was riding above it. I was, I was above the truck, observing everything, chilling out. And then when I got in the hospital, I, they recovered me. That's where I got diagnosed with cholera and so forth, et cetera, and they brought me back. But I owe Jesus Christ my life because I know I don't deserve to come back. And I had a taste of God's grace that I never had because I saw what Jesus went and did for us. And why can't we accept what he did for us? Why do we keep rejecting that and trying to get to heaven on our own? Just on the basis of what Jesus did, he paid the price in full for us so we don't have to go to this place. And so I owe him my very life and soul. Brian? I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I came back. Now, at this point, you were pretty stunned. I mean, you, you describe it as PTSD from what you saw there, but you try to redeem yourself, don't you? You, you, you mm -hmm. join a church and work there for a while? Oh, yeah. Tell so, us about yeah, the after, transition going up to... So, uh, I mean, yeah, so after that, I got home uh, from the hospital, and I sat in a um, beanbag chair there inside the inside of my duplex apartment there. I rented a few rooms out with some other guys, and they went on to work, and I sat down in the beanbag chair, and I just looked up, after I got out of the hospital, they gave me paragoric and stuff for the pain in the gut and just plug you up. But I won't get into this, yeah. all the details of that. But they, um, so I sat in this beanbag chair and um, I said, Jesus, uh, I never want to go back to that awful place. Take me, I'm yours. You know, I, I owe you my life. And and I and I, that's how I got born again because I actually felt a, a breeze entering me, a cool breeze. And my dog got very happy. And I just sat there chilling out, and that's how I got saved, because I just gave up. I said, Lord, I can't run my life. I just, I, take me, I'm yours. I, I, I give you my life. I owe you. <laughs> you saved me. I, I had an experience of what grace is really like, undeserved, and I owe, owe you my life. And, and so nothing's been the same since. However, when I began my Christian walk, um, it's pretty much what you said, Lee. There's a lot of churches. There's good churches out there, so I'm not bad-mouthing every single church. But you go to some places, and they, uh, you know, it's like they say in the South, bless their little old hearts. You know, they, they mean well. Yeah. But they're, they, they, they want to scare you, and, <laughs> they, and you got to do all this stuff to keep yourself saved. So I fell in one of those churches. And so, uh, and it was like, 
And I also didn't want to go back to hell, so I, I worked real hard not to go back to hell. Even though I was saved and I knew it, you know, what about what I was learning in this church? I lose my salvation, or, or, or if I'm not good enough, or if I, if I screw up once, and, and you know, I was, I was frantic, and I didn't know what to do. So, um, so I went to the church, and it, it was a good, you know, experience. I mean, I had to learn it, but anyway, I was made. I didn't know anything about intercessory prayer, but the guy, a uh, pastor, heard me pray because I, you know, I talked to Jesus just like I talked to a friend, and so. He heard me pray, and he put me in charge of the intercessors group. I had no idea what that was. And then I was in the, being trained in the ministry through these people. And then I, I was worked on the soundboard. I worked, and I was also in the praise band. <laughs> and I also did street witnessing. I did this, I did that. I kept myself so busy. I worked at a job at that time, and I started my own business. I was always busy so I wouldn't think about hell. And I, and I wanted to uh, uh, make sure I get to heaven. That's what I was doing. And I, I was driving myself crazy. Maybe some of you listening have been there. And, you, you, you know, you don't understand God's grace or whatever. But anyway, so what happened was about two and a half years later, this all came to a head. And I, we had, it, um, I just say, we had this, what do you call it, a revival meeting. And it had over the weekend, like four-day event, and this was last day, Sunday, and every night we baptize at least 30 to 40 people, water baptized. That takes time. And so the last night I thought, oh, it's Sunday, I'm beat, I'm doing the soundboard, it's my night to do the soundboard, I'm beat, I'm tired, I want to go home, I was in a grumpy mood, and sure enough, there were about 30 people who got water baptized, so I didn't get out of there until way after midnight and I had a 40 minute drive home and then I had to get up in the morning go to work then I had after that I had to go do my own little little window cleaning business at that time and um, go and do a contract and go back to the church and do the oh it's a mess but anyway I was just thinking I'm not getting any sleep tonight and then everybody in the church there left all of the praise guy. No one picked up anything. So I had to put every equipment up and all that. So I did all that, shut the doors, locked the doors, left, drove home. I was in a foul mood, got in the door and it was late. And um, as soon as I got in, my, you know, I had neighbors who took care of my dog. So I got my dog in, fed all that. And so I just said, you know, and I, 1977, I took Colorado outward bound mountaineering survival course, and you learn how to get rest in a short amount of time. I can't explain it. You just sort of let your body relax, and you know you got to get up, and you get up, you just go. And uh, we were trained by um, Delta Force type people. I, our our leader was a Green Beret guy. Taught us the the, the, the drone zone. They call it the drone zone. And so I thought, well, I'll just sit back, I'll chill out, I'll get up in what an hour or whatever, and I'll and I'll just go to work and I'll just do it because that's what you know like I I could do that. And so I lay down in bed. As soon as I lay down in the bed, the room became bright white. And I'm not kidding you. It just was brilliant. And I heard a booming voice that said, "Awake, arise, stand to your feet." And I said, "Shut the blank up." <laughs> I was in foul mood. <laughs> well, not in a nice mood. And um, so um, my dog was extremely happy. She was wagging her tail. She's looking at like she's looking at somebody down the hall. And um, so I said, that was strange. It must have been, I must have just dozed off. So I went 
and it did it, did it two other times when I had the same response. Mm-hmm. And the third time I, I it happened, you know, I threw the covers off and I said, oh my God, I missed the rapture or something. So I opened up the door, looked outside and I realized, <laughs> I mean, what an idiot I am. What is going on? My dog wouldn't even go outside. I looked behind me and there was my dog and she's a German shepherd and somebody was petting her head. I couldn't see because her ears were going down and she was exceedingly happy. Never seen my dog so happy. Yeah. And, um, and so I felt presence of Jesus and I uh, felt the presence, well, you know, and just unmistakable. And I heard a really small, still quiet voice, kind of like a whisper. And just, do you remember how you left before? And I said, yes. Yeah. So I lay back on bed, on my bed, and boom, in the body, out of the body, like Paul would say, I do not know. I'm not Paul the Apostle by a long yeah. shot. But it, it just, and I, and I, I believe I was translated up and, and allowed, uh, called up in the spirit and allowed to see heaven. The only reason I was allowed to see heaven, I'll just talk about it real briefly, and we can wrap this up here, simply to calm me down about, about seeing hell. And, and, and get me straight, <laughs> straighten me out on a few things. Mm-hmm. And so I got, um, we went up to heaven. I went through the same dark void I went through before, heard the same music I heard before, but this time I wasn't being judged. This time I was coming home. <laughs> this was a homecoming. I was going home, baby. This is where I belong. This is what this this is this is what the Lord intended before the fall of humanity, and, and we and we screwed up paradise. Mm-hmm. Not God, we did. The only way you can learn is by going through it, so you never do it again. It's a great mystery there. Let your mind wonder on that. And so I'm floating through this this dark void. And came to there, and there, you know, um, Jesus was standing there waiting, and he did not have his hood on. He looked like he was standing there. welcomed me. And he, and he had a big smile. And people always ask me, what did Jesus look like? And I always honestly tell you, I do not know. You know, there's bright light coming out of him. But once your eyes adjusted to him, um, he looked Jewish. Then he looked like somebody else. Um, it says in Mark chapter 16 that the two disciples were walking along the road and, and then Jesus appeared in another form to them. And at the, in John chapter 21, it talks about they went back to go fishing and they did not recognize him mm. at the Sea of Galilee. And then they realized who he is. I saw one like the Son of Man. I can't explain it. He, he, he would change. And his eyes were sort of a hazel brownish green to to brilliant blue. It just I can't describe that. Next many is the Lord of Glory with the silver hair, just like he described in the Revelation. And you know he was staying in one form, but it was just I can't explain it. So, so I hate to disappoint people. <laughs> Does he look like this person or that person? Yeah. He, looked, he was very Jewish. What what did he show you of heaven? So we walked when we got, when we walked to this this gate and um, uh, it's a big pearly gate. It was white with these blue living swirls in it. And we and we came up. I saw angels coming and going out of it and stuff like that. And they were going out to do tasks. Then we came to the gate and we walked through it and it was narrow. So Jesus went before me and I'm walking and I was, and to me. It will sound strange, but I was basically very in tune to pay attention to every detail. And it looked like the the entryway was chiseled. 
and it was chiseled and, and also it looked like the shape of a spear point and um and and I, when i touched the walls rubbing my hand on it while looking at jesus at the same time i had the most profound revelation of the cross some of which i ch i shared you know i saw literally um how people betrayed jesus how they plot to plan to get rid of him you know how they put him on trial i saw pretty much how they crucified him in, in, in raw living color, like standing in a distance far from it. It left an effect on me. I, I preached the gospel that way. And um, it showed me how we, what happened to Jesus in that 24-hour event before the, he was hung on the cross is how we treat each other. He exposed iniquity and reason why we need forgiveness. That part of the message of the cross is rarely taught anymore. It used to be, I found out a long time ago, but for some reason they erased that part. And um, and that's why our sin debt was paid in full. So he paid our penalty, our death penalty in our place, you know, for putting him on the cross. I mean, it's like what we do to each other. He paid the, he paid our price. None of us deserve mercy. None of us deserve grace. And we all deserve wrath, but he took it for us. And that's the only terms that he has to enter into heaven is just accept what I did for you. And I'll change your life. I'll inhabit you with the Holy Spirit and, and, and change you. you. You'll go through processes. Yeah, you're not perfect, but I will change you. And you experience things about God's love and stuff that I can't even go on once you're, you're a believer. And you can't really go back. And so anyway, um, to, to even describe what I'm trying to, to, to say right now but anyway so we went through that we went into this um open field i call it a field excuse me still recovering from the uh, the virus that i had you know <laughs> the covid stuff but the so i walked through this um we came out and i was in a field i call it the field of reunion and it was the most remarkable thing i've ever seen in my life uh, that's when I, as soon as I entered into into the realm of hell, the heaven behind the wall, I was hitting a land of liquid love. That I honestly I, I can't even explain, and uh, and was living in the presence of God in, in in this land of liquid love, and it's a firm but fair love, and intuitively you know love has boundaries, and you cross those boundaries, it's not good. Uh, we have boundaries for our kids. We don't let them play in the street. And you won't play them tag football in the middle of the interstate highway. You just don't let your kids do anything they want. You set boundaries and rules, and you, and you, and you, sometimes you have to watch if they learned anything or not. It's a painful lesson that you have to do as a parent sometimes. And um, so you, you, you see this aspect of the Lord there and uh, how he sets boundaries and you want to live in those boundaries. <laughs> I crave to the day I go can get, enter into heaven again and live in that protective boundary of God's love, never wanting ever to rebel again. Um, I'll tell you that. And, or do the things I ever did. You know, I don't. Anyway, I, I entered into heaven as accepted in the beloved. And that has never left me. And so I watched other people enter into this field of reunion. And that's what I call it. It was a field of reunion. That's my nickname for it. And so that's what I tell people. And there, I, I'll give you a few people I saw so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. 
the one of the people that struck me the most was this guy who came out shortly after I did into the field and some people were walking toward him and uh, and again I ha I knew about this guy and he and his dad did not have a good relationship he was a Christian but his dad wasn't and his and he tried to witness to him and his dad chewed him out and cussed him out and he said I'll never talk to you again and blah 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 you divorce mom blah 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 all this stuff and I you know I could see the fight they had and then all of a sudden he saw his dad walking toward him and his dad said son you know uh that's okay I died of the cancer and I know you didn't come to visit me, but because of what you said is why I'm here. I accepted Jesus. I'm here. And they hugged. And all the animosity and the father and son strife was gone. They were totally united. There were no bad blood. Mm. You know, and that was the type of thing I was seeing. And um, then I saw <laughs> this part. Um, you know, I saw parents who lost their little kids to a disease or sickness or accident and they're walking there and all of a sudden they see their little kid walking up to them and i saw the young older couple who's who who you know they must and they were there together they entered in together and they saw their little child they lost when they were real you know, young parents and they came up and said hi mom hi dad <laughs> And it's like, it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. I've seen this reunion and this healing there that, that, that wow. And then they go off into heaven and to wherever they're going to go. And, and then I saw these ladies that came in and they would see this infant crawling toward them and grow up in front of them. I'm not kidding you. And say, hi, mom. Hi. Um, and she goes, oh, my God, I aborted you. And I goes, we have eternity here, Mom. Let's go play. All that lies about the abortion, all that stuff was totally erased. All the guilt these people carried about doing this type of thing, and now they're believers, was totally erased when they met their child. <laughs> the healing was there. It was so incredible because you, you begin to see what you're really meant to be and what we threw away. Uh, by the fall, is restored there. What it really means to be a human. That's what I learned in heaven. Because later on, you know, I saw a tour of heaven. You know, um, I wrote another book about it. It's at a publisher now. But we came to what I call the uh, Ezekiel's River, and then there I call it the, the River of Life. It came out of the throne of God. Pretty much, pretty much what the Bible talks about. I was walking along here, and there was a tributary that came out of the River of Life. We came to this tributary, and there are tons of kids in heaven. There are so many kids in heaven, it, it, it's unreal, man. And so there are wait, a lot of them are waiting for their parents or relatives to come, and they'll meet them. And while hmm. they're waiting, you know, they're, and some of them, you know, are, are there. And anyway, there were, there were a bunch of them there by this tributary splashing in the water. And Jesus would walk inside of me, and very Jewish-looking guy, but... He was very affable. He was a guy who could tell some good jokes. You, you know, you know, people love to be around him. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't think anybody, any movie or, or show could ever capture what he was really like. And when he speaks, he, 
there's depths to his words that they, they pierce your conscience and soul. So every time I read in the Bible where, you know, the people says said that, you know, nobody speaks like this man. It's true because the words keep going in your heart and soul and they speak to you in so many different ways. And here he is there and he's walking with me and he gets into the river and he starts splashing the kids and him splashing each other and and all my imagery of Jesus being a stone face, you know, walking stiffly, whatever, holier now is raced. And he was smiling, laughing, and they said, ready? And they all splashed water on me. And um, and so I, uh, I learned at that moment what it means to be a human being. I really did. And when you can become born again, you get the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies you to live less according to the flesh, but you learn slowly to live more by the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, righteousness, holiness, so forth, etc. That is what it means to be a human. Can we imagine that we all live according to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, holiness, righteousness? Could you imagine what the image and likeness of God that we threw away in, for a mass of porridge or what we turned the world into this, this place that it is now? And that's what I learned. I learned that this is what God showed me, uh, that this is what it means to be human. And so when he did all of that, the joy was incredible. And at that moment, all my PSD left. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I entered heaven, it did. But it, you know, it was like, it never bothered me since because that memory is always there. I just remember that. And so later on, we came back. We went through the, I uh, call it the city, and we saw... Uh, uh, banquet hall being set and um, things that people like to do mm -hmm. um, like maybe a hobby or maybe your vocation or something like that will prepare you for what you'll be doing up there so a lot of people who are working in this big banquet hall preparing for a banquet were decorating and stuff these people like to decorate and organize and they were having a blast yeah. and um, so we walked through there we walked back out I came through the city we came back um, um to the to the gate and went back through the gate and I came back you know went back to the rock and and he blew on me again spoke to me some things and I came back and I I got up that morning with the sun on my face it was time to go to work I was so relaxed I was so relaxed I was so refreshed it felt like I slept for 20 hours and um this part people can laugh at and they don't have to believe it but my supervisor and other people verified this i went to work that day i worked in buildings and grounds and had to get there early and my supervisor walked in and said brian what's wrong with you uh well nothing he says why are you glowing uh, and i go <laughs> I, I, i'm glowing are you, you know i wanted to tell my supervisor are you crazy but you don't tell your supervisor that mm -hmm. so i went in the bathroom and looked and i didn't i wouldn't glow i looked like i always did at least to me, she says, you have a glow about you. And people in, when I, and I worked in Montgomery Wards and buildings and ground. And, and so I was moving stuff at that time off the floor and getting ready for them to move product onto the floor. I had to move all this equipment and stuff out. And so this little kid would come up to me and say, Mr. Did you see Jesus? And I said, yeah. And the parents said, get away from him. He's glowing. And so <laughs> I, I actually, they think, I heard that for three days, but I, I, I think it was more of a, a glow or just being happy and joyous. 
more than I was actually like, maybe I was shining. I don't know. But when I look in the mirror, all I could see was me. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> No, I, when I turned out the lights, you know, the lights stayed out, <laughs> but, but wow. I was so happy. I was so full of joy, man. I, I mean, I tell you, there's some things that happened during those three days that I, I can't even explain. I thought I had animals come up to me wild animals and birds my dog would be peaceful and not chase any of them and um i thought wow birds in colorado are pretty friendly wow <laughs> it was just an amazing three days but so well, i came back i had no the psd left and i still have traits of it but it never bothered me it wasn't there it wasn't tormenting there's no torment to it now things will startle me uh, sight sounds will still startle me but i don't i don't i don't go back if you ever had it, you know, you, you start sweating and, and, and you, 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 it gets echoey. That stuff is gone. The fact that you, uh, had a, have given a happy ending to this <laughs> journey to hell is, is really wonderful, Brian, where we are out of time. Uh, and I, I want to thank you so much for sharing the story, uh, both stories, really. Um, I look forward to, to your new book. Uh, do you know when it's coming out? Well, we're in the editing stage right now, so I'm waiting to hear from the editors, and we'll get it cleaned up. And you know, that's a chore. Do you have a title for it? Um, Publishers working on several titles. I don't know what one they're going to choose. We had to select about three of them and make sure everything. Well, the one, the what, the book you have, "A Land Unknown: Hell's Dominion." Where can people find that? They can find that online or order it from the bookstore, from Barnes and Noble. They can order it um, from a Christian bookseller, wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can order it or go online to Amazon.com. You can find it there. Okay. It's a and do you have a website? Do you have a website they could visit? Yeah, there's a website. Um, a lot of videos that I did on other channels got censored and um so those sites got taken out so the videos i linked are gone so i'm redoing it i'm trying to get a brand new website I haven't been able to afford it yet so it's under construction but it's afterhoursministries.com all one word right. afterhoursministries plural.com i do work with the first nations people and other other venues right now once again thank you brian for doing the show with us this has been very very interesting. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listening again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>